0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Meaning of Health. In this episode, we chat with Jeannie, Alex and Ellie from the 100 Families Project. 100 Families is an action research project that seeks to find out more about families and people in our community that are doing it tough. They aim to use those findings to make changes to help improve their lives and create opportunities with a view to making an impact faster than research projects usually do. We have an interesting chat about many aspects of the project, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Meaning of Health. I'm one of your hosts, Craig.
1: And my name's Courtney.
0: And we're very lucky here today to be with some people involved with the 100 Families Project. Um, so you've got Alex, Ellie, and Jenny. Yes. <laughs>
1: I'll
0: just get you guys to introduce yourselves quickly.
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so my name's Alex Hughes. I'm the project manager for 100 Families WA. Um, yeah, I work for Waycosu, who's one of the project partners.
3: My name is Ellie Tai. I am the research and evaluation um, consultant at Rua Community Services, and we are one of the um, agencies involved in the project.
4: Hi, everyone. I'm Jeannie Babajvani. I'm on the community advisory
1: group. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for coming, guys. It's really exciting to talk about this project today. Do you guys want to quickly start off with exactly what 100 Families is? Because I I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, Yeah, sure, I can do that. So um, so 100 Families, WA, is uh, a collaborative action research project. So the collaborative part being there's 10 partners, 10 partner organisations. And those are, so I'm going to read them out just so I'm... (laughs) Not missing out anybody. No. Um, so WACOS, WA Council of Social Service, Wansley Centre Care, Mercy Care, United Care West, Jacaranda Community Centre, Anglicare Care WA, and Rua Community Services. And then there's two schools from UWA. So the Centre for Social Impact and the Social Policy Practice and Research Consortium UWA. So <laughs> those are the partners. Um, And essentially, an action research project, we're looking to uh, understand uh, better the experiences of families um, living with entrenched disadvantage. Uh, And then by understanding and learning, we can make changes that help improve those people's lives. That's the short nutshell.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: And so how did the project come about? How was it conceived?
3: I can speak to that one a little bit. So it was... I guess about two years ago now, um, there was a presentation by Dame Diane Robinson, who had convened the project over New Zealand. So Dame Diane was of the Auckland City Mission, um, and in her role, she brought together a lot of um, people and families who were using her services and decided to kind of really try and understand the lives um, of what it meant to be experiencing disadvantage in Auckland Um, and she gave a presentation about this at the WACOS conference, I think it was 2016. And there were a number of people in the audience who thought, wow, this is such an amazing initiative, wouldn't be great if we could set up this project here in Perth. Um, So, uh, Sean um, did a number of meetings with different agencies in Perth, of which um, RUA Rua was one and and, um, UCW and all these different agencies are involved. Um, and we all thought it was a great idea, and kind of from there we um, set up the project and managed to get funding from Lottery West a year and a half ago.
0: Just over, just yeah. Just
3: over a year and a half ago, and, and the project had, had kicked off from there.
0: Okay, and how long is that funding for? So the, the funding from
2: Lottery West uh, is, is roughly on a three-year timeline. Um, it's important to note that the, the £1.75 million that came from Lottery West is a significant part of the funding but the other significant part is the in-kind contributions that the agencies mm. provide um, which is massive it's mm. huge it's, it's what allows us to make sure this project is successful um, but the, the funding itself will end next year um, but does it necessarily mean the project will end because there's more life to it we're just you know organically moving in a, in a direction that we hope um keeps it going
0: mm-hmm. mm. so do you envisage that other funding agencies will be involved in the future? Because I know Lottery West usually uses, like, they usually fund things at the start to get them started mm-hmm. and then...
2: We hope so. There's, there's so much more to achieve with this project. I mean, it is a huge project and it's hugely significant in this space. It hasn't been done before um, in Australia at this level. So the findings that, we're, that are emerging and that will continue to emerge later this year, we've got a huge bank of, of, of findings coming in, We'll kickstart the next part, which is the action part, and for that we really need to um, to broaden our scope and and really you know have capacity and resource behind us to make the, the change we want to. But we also want to make sure that we represent. I mean, the, the project's called One Hundred Families WA, but this initial um, data collection part is Perth based, so we want to kind of um, make sure that we can represent you know regional and remote communities as well. And so for that we need. Future funding.
0: Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, and who does the project involve? Who's the target of that specifically? Do you want me to answer <laughs> that? Or...
2: So I, I can start and you can finish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Chime in when you need to. <laughs> um,
2: so we, we've, we've used the term entrenched disadvantage. I mean, this term itself has been talked about Sometimes we use the word hardship, um, but essentially we're trying to aim at the the same population. So it is people experiencing poverty, um, but the the key focus is on those people who are really stuck. Mm Because poverty is obviously one factor, but there's other factors that keep people stuck. So those factors being things like uh, social isolation and material deprivation. And where those three factors meet, that central part is often what keep, keeps people from from climbing out, from climbing the ladder. Um, so when we were recruiting uh, for families into the project, um, we were really focusing on that eligibility criteria. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you know, a period of stuckness, incorporating incorporating
0: those factors. Okay. And how do you measure that? How do you determine? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Like from a
1: study point of view, I feel like that's really difficult to measure. Um, yeah. Is it subjective or are there, like, questionnaires that they have to fill out or how
3: so do you do it? we had, in terms of rec- recruitment around um, what it experienced as a disadvantage, we had an, an eligibility criteria mm-hmm. that was based on um, in income um, and also another, mm-hmm. um, a variety of other kind of measures of disadvantage which kind of also include those social... Um, social representations as well. Um, But I think also what is unique about this project, um, compared to kind of other projects which look at poverty and disadvantage, um, one is the really strong role of um, people with lived experience. So we've got our community advisory group and they sit right within our governance structure of the whole project. and that's something that's kind of really grown from when we started to, to, to now. Um, we have pro- representation on our project team group. Um, and we have an action to impact working group of which one of the members of the CAG, um, Renegade, is a chair of that group. So the strong, um, there's a really strong involvement in lived experience. There was a really strong, um, there was the definition of entrenched disadvantage has also had input from lived experience. I think the other thing um, that was quite unique was the 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 definitions around what is the meaning behind family. so as a group we, there was a lot of discussion about families and household and how do you define that um, and in the end, we took a really quite broad definition of families. We have a lot of um families who in our um that are participating in the project who are street homeless. And for those guys, their family is their street family. So we said, you know, who who is family to you? And oh, and <laughs> use that as our definition as, as families for the project.
0: Yeah. So roughly how many individuals are captured by your selection criteria and participating as participants?
3: So we recruited through the agencies. So, um, and in that baseline survey, we had 400 families. Um, and that was our target and that took from um, November till the March in the in the following year. Um, and then from that 400, it was a random sample of 100 families that went into the ongoing qualitative interviews for the so year. So
1: just to clarify, you say 400 families, is that 400 individuals or like because families, again for me, is like a group of people. So is it 400 people or is it it's, more than that? Ah, so like, the,
2: the four hundred, uh, the family representatives yeah. of the ah, families. Ah, okay. So there's four hundred people
1: that represent four hundred families. Correct.
2: Okay. So there's four hundred separate families. Yeah. They may have some connection because obviously you know it's, Of course. But uh, they're the family representative for their immediate right. family, yeah. however they define that.
1: Okay, so that 400
2: makes
1: sense. So four hundred people. Okay. Cool. All
2: right. Occasionally, <laughs> um, so when we haven't got to this yet, but we, the way we collect data, as, as Ellie said, there's two ways. The first way is uh, a longitudinal survey. Mm-hmm. So we've done baseline a year ago, and we're currently underway with the wave two. Um, the 100 families, where the name comes from, is the people who have been randomly selected, but still represent you know, the different parts or different um, subgroups that feature or make up and disadvantage. Um, meet every two weeks with their interviewer, uh, to do a qualitative interview okay. which uh, up until now has been very open semi-structured and now in the last few months we're being more structured in terms of ant- asking questions um, yeah and um, I forgot where I was going with that <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right so um, every two weeks they have an interview every two weeks that is so intense yeah so do you have a lot of um, fallout of people or has, has everyone been pretty positive about it
2: it's been amazingly excellent. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, th- so this is a, a, an important question, actually, um, because originally, I mean, we, we always uh, reimburse families with mm-hmm. a gift card, a $50 gift card, or a bank transfer if that's what they choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many of the families, that was the initial draw, and still mm-hmm. is. I mean, obviously, people who are struggling, you know, that's going to be helpful. But it's amazing to see the retention rate um, is so high. And I don't know the actual number, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the process of finding that out, But the the connection that they've made with their interviewer Mm. um, and the the opportunity to to be able to tell their story Mm -hmm. in the way they want to tell their story and have their voices heard has been quite profane for a lot of the um, families. Um, So, yeah, they they continue to catch up. Of course, some people miss fortnights and sometimes there's big breaks, but they come back. We have families um, who are now in prison who are still being seen, families in hospitals still being seen, um, and they really want to keep telling their story. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Mm. So you've got two two groups, one's a subgroup of the larger group. So the bigger group, the 400, are getting surveyed annually, annually, and the other one's every two weeks. Correct. For for 12 months. Mm. Interesting. And how how do you go about getting access to people in prison and places like that?
2: it's a long process, um, and we have to be more flexible, which is a key word for this project. <laughs> um, yeah. it's it depends on the prison, it depends on the person, and, and you know why they're there. Um, but essentially, it's an application process. You submit, and then wait, and then negotiate.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and then you might have to be more flexible in terms of how many times you see them. Um, yeah, there's more of a process around that, um, and we've only, you know, started to do that. But yeah. But it matters, obviously, it matters to them to keep being seen and it matters to us to keep seeing them. So wherever we can, we make it happen.
0: Okay. And who is in charge of collecting all the data and analysing the data and then reporting on it? When does that happen? Is there
1: one person? I'm <laughs> very <laughs> sorry for them if there was. <laughs>
3: <laughs> very dunder. Yeah. Hours and hours and hours for Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, there's, there's, a,
2: there's, a, there's a team of um, five, really. So there's the... Um, qualitative analysis team, which um, sit within the School of Pop Health, Population Health at UWA, um, who are responsible for listening to that audio and then transcribing it and analysing it and coding it. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have, I mean, there's the, without going too deep into the governance structure, we do have a research group that we bring out when we need to. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Within that research group, which which uh, this is an important part to 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 note, the three pillars of the project we have the academic pillar, the service delivery pillar, and the lived experience pillar, and we make sure that all representatives from those three pillars are at those meetings, because um, that is the collaboration. Um, so those research group meetings have people from those pillars there, and we talk about you know how we want to decide you know how we code, um, all the way through to designing the. Uh, way questions are formed, etc. Um, which, which is, you know, the beauty of the project, as well as, you know, the factor that we have to be patient with.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> is that a good way of saying? It? It's, it's a longer process, but it's an important okay. one. It ends up with better results.
0: Yeah. And so, how many people do you have actually in the field going and interviewing, recording their interviews, etc.?
2: Um, on the books, we have 19 interviewers. Um, so, I think four of those are UWA full-time staff, and then the rest have been contracted. Mm-hmm. Either they're ex-Masters of Social Work students or, you know, in the alumni that way. So, we have 19. Um, predominantly, we, we have h- hubs across Perth, so all the way from Merrow down to Mandurah. So, I think we've got about 16, something like that, 17 hubs. Um, in all the locations that, that families were initially recruited. And so there's, that's an office space within the service delivery organisation partners where families can meet with their interviewer and either do the survey or the interview. But we have broadened that out to homes, libraries, you know, parks, wherever the family feels most comfortable. Um, yeah, so we,
0: we, it's gone beyond just the offices into the community. Yeah, okay. I might bring Jeannie in here, mm. if that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So, Jeannie, do you want to describe what your role is with the project?
4: Um, the community advisory group, that's what I, I'm sitting on. Um, um, I just help out if they want to know something, and then I'll say what I think yeah. about it. Okay. Um, sometimes I don't understand a lot, so I don't say what. I don't understand. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I just sit there and listen. I'm yeah, I like I listen a lot, um, but um, the reason why I'm on this started from basically uh, one of my friends. Um, we I was going to the Family Foundation, um, and they invited me, and it was at the time it was just like. Um, community conversations that we would get in groups and just talk about our lived experience and stuff like that um from there this is where I am now Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um but through that whole whole journey that I've been through I've had a lot of ups and downs Mm -hmm. um so it's been hard yeah
2: so that journey, so the community conversations that you mentioned, that they were, we had two of those right at the very beginning. So that was a year and almost three quarters yeah, ago. Yeah, so, so a long, mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. And so Jeannie and your friend, who's yeah, Renegade, yeah, who's the, the yeah. co-chair of the yeah, um, Action yeah. Treatment Program, yeah, we started that together. Was right at the very, very beginning, and it was there to. I mean, you can say, so, but inform the beginning of the project.
4: Yeah, right. yeah, that's where it started, yeah. from us, yeah, getting yeah. together and just talking about mm-hmm. what we've been through.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so what sort of questions do, do the other arms of the project ask people like you? Um, where, where do they need help from you guys?
4: Um, like um, what would make life easier, um, you know, like just like how, how do we cope? Um, To say if I, like, yeah, run out of food or something, Um, they ask me, like, where I get it from, how do I get it, Um, do I, how do I get there, all that kind of stuff, um, which I just tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. I've been struggling since I was a mum, basically, Mm -hmm. yeah. So if, you know, if I don't have something, if I don't have food, I'll do anything to go and get food. Um, even though I don't have a car, I'll still find a way to get it because mm-hmm. um, that's just what you have to do when you're a mum. When you're a single mum, they mm. just depend on you. So, yeah, I've yeah, got there's no one else, so it's got to be – it comes down to me. So it's a lot of pressure, a lot yeah. of stress. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's my responsibility, I suppose. Mm. So I guess what, what you've been through and, and your story kind of helps shapes what – you guys focus on with the, the actual project and um, outcomes and things like that. Mm. So, you know, it's always important to have an advisory
0: group. So, yeah. so you're essentially telling these guys what they need to be looking <laughs> yeah, for. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. These, yeah. These, these yeah. Are what helps, drugs. what makes life a little bit easier yeah. 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 for us. Yeah. Even
3: things down to the, langu- the language. So in this recent snapshot, we were talking about it yesterday and we had the word ameliorate. Like, oh, yeah. The language that we use yeah. is yeah. just so can be so far from mm-hmm. the language that has meaning mm-hmm. to yeah. the people, like the families that we're working with and that yeah. we want
0: to that you want to communicate. Yeah, with. and, and right I'll just, I'll
3: just clarify that the snapshot
1: is your newsletter, right? It's like a like a no, uh,
0: no? no. So, so one of
2: the key components of the project yeah. is the action part, and to yeah. make findings as accessible as possible, we try and disseminate findings in a variety of ways mm-hmm. so we try and remove ourselves as much as possible or elevate ourselves I don't know words <laughs> really, from the traditional way of doing things we don't want the old journals that sit on dusty shelves Yeah, fair enough. so we do have reports um, but we also have bulletins which are kind of the middle grains six or seven eight nine pages and then the one pager which is the snapshot
1: right okay. so the snapshot
2: really is the digestible mm-hmm. easy to quickly read and understand and get across the main points
1: yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's language would be very important then for that. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and as you were saying, so yesterday, um, as an example of some of the work the community advisory group do, we had a uh, research group or a working group around how we should word some of the questions that are going to be delivered in a workshop. And, um, you know, researchers, academics, even people in the service delivery land, Come up with these kind of flowery mm-hmm. long sentences yeah. that really are just a bit of the length. <laughs> yeah, and so th- yeah. the group helped boil that down to a, to a way that gets, you know. That it the, should
4: be like just simple, ask a simple mm-hmm. question, not put all these words in it that we don't understand. Yeah. You know, of course. Like, there's a lot of words that I don't understand, a lot of questions that I don't understand, and like, if I don't understand something, I'm just going to sit there and think,
0: what is this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, it's pretty. I don't, from talking with people who have been in community advisory groups, it's yeah. quite al- alienating mm-hmm. if people talk in language that's difficult to understand, and yeah. it defeats the purpose of the research in this case because it is about the people who need the help. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. so but you need to
4: understand what they're talking about mm-hmm. yeah. to answer that
0: question. Mm. So. Do you find that those meetings get contentious at times? Do you have to sort of say, "Oh, shut up! I'm, <laughs> I'm talking <now> about." <laughs> I <more."> find
4: <laughs> them really full on for me because <laughs> yeah. I'm not used to this. You know. Um, but doesn't mean that I'm just going to walk out and leave the room. I'll sit there and I'll still listen. Um, but if I don't know what they're talking about, I'm not just going to say something because I don't know what they're saying. Like, right? mm. you know, if they're talking about something and I don't know what it is and I'm not going to put my two cents in, mm. I'll just sit there and listen. Yeah. And then later on I'll just go back on what we've not been talking about myself and I'll go through that question or I'll Google that word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, yeah. and then
1: I'll
4: understand
2: exactly about that question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For, from a project point of view, we've, there's a lot of learnings. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the original budget never included a community advisory group. That was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then when we had a community advisory group, they were off to the side as an advisory group and not part of the decision-making process. Another mistake. Yeah. So that was, the governance was changed like midway through last year. Um and we're constantly learning. And that is really the, the key to the collaboration. I mean, you've got these different worlds who use different words and different ways of working, coming together to try and reach a goal. And we're slowly making improvements um, to help us get to that goal. And that's really the mm-hmm. the aim. Um, so Genie saying that kind of stuff is important because we need to know, okay, it's not working in this, in this way. We need to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we bring some of those... Uh, queries to the community advisor group meetings we can talk about you know and pull up pull it apart a bit more and understand it a bit more yeah but the group is is absolutely fundamental like mm-hmm. we couldn't the, the work wouldn't have been as successful it has been so far without that group
0: yeah mm-hmm. and is someone documenting this whole process to to publish later on about how this project has actually been run from from the start and changed and because i, I think that's as important as anything else that's going to come out of it is The way research is done and the way collaboration is is done and the way community members are involved is something that traditionally maybe hasn't been front and centre of uh, of social research.
1: Yeah, and I think in terms of research, having that understanding of of the processes behind it and the mistakes and how you yeah. overcome it and stuff is, is all right. very important. It's,
0: it's a great case study for someone who wants to do it in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, this you could they could maybe cut out that first half that didn't work so well
1: <laughs> and go straight <laughs> to the Just bit implement that was it immediately.
2: <laughs> in short, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, considering you guys have mountains of audio and, and all this kind of stuff yeah. to do as well. Yeah, mm.
2: it, it's definitely we've spoken about. Yeah. Um, we have. Got a process to try and ensure that big things are recorded. Um, I would love if we had somebody, you know, doing a master's project on this. That would be fantastic. We've had somebody do an honours project on the collaboration, which is due for release soon. Mm -hmm. So there'll be some learnings there. And we do make sure, so we're connected. There's the WA Social Research Network that was formed, I think, uh, last
0: year. Mm.
2: Yeah, about that. Um, and we, so that's a group of, of uh, mainly academics who are working in a similar space to us, doing similar projects. And so we talk about some of the learnings and strengths and weaknesses of our projects and share those. Um, we also connect with other projects locally and internationally. So um, there's a, a project actually called A Thousand Families in Auckland
0: mm-hmm.
2: who have contacted me to um, request a. Yeah, a meeting so we can talk about some of the things that we're doing that they can learn from. It's a very similar project, but theirs is around, um, I think, Maori families and connected to schools. Um, So yeah, we're trying to share our learning in those ways, Um, as well as all the way through to recently we met with Professor Donna Cross and her team, Mm -hmm. um, who are going to be doing, I mean, they've got the early years initiative and they're going to be doing something um, over the next seven years on, um, I think they're calling it deep disadvantage. So we're, again, the synergies that we can help. So if we've, something that will help them out we can share that yep. and vice versa but I would love to have mm. somebody who is dedicated to the um, yeah. to analyzing the journey that we've been on yeah. and going on
0: it seems perfect for a master's project mm. yeah. yeah anyone out there yeah. <laughs> Get in <touch>. yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> School of population and global health yeah right? yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so in this project is there an indigenous component
0: yes
2: yeah. yes okay yeah, so uh, one of the, the partners, um, Jacaranda Community Centre, is an ACCO, yep.
1: um,
2: Aboriginal Community Controlled Organisation, um, and they were the predominant recruiters of Aboriginal mm-hmm. people in the project. So okay. there's essentially a third of the 400 families are Indigenous, um, with quite, I don't remember the number, but quite a high level of, of male Indigenous mm-hmm. uh, family participants, which is amazing because mm-hmm. it's yeah. hard to get, often Aboriginal, it's hard to get men to speak you know, across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we do have a, a high number of Aboriginal um, members involved,
0: um, which is really good. Good yeah. really to hear their stories. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the next question is naturally what happens with what you find? How does it flow to where it needs to go and, and what changes can, can happen as a result of that?
3: Mm. So we have, so we've been setting up our action to... Impact Working Group, um, whose sole purpose is to take the findings and pre- move them into kind of change and targeting and disadvantage in Perth. Um, and we've got kind of three key focuses at the moment. One is that we align with existing campaigns. Um, so we don't want 100 families to be working over here and not kind of getting our information into the hands of other big um, campaigns in Perth, so the WA Alliance to End Homelessness and the Make Renting Fair campaign are are key ones, as well as um, Raise the Rate. Um, Then we're also kind of taking a lot of time to build relationships with the key groups in the community, like Department of Communities, um, the funders, other um, funders, to get ourselves in a good position and make sure that they have the information that we need. Um, this project is, as I said, this project is, is really unique and the findings are really unique and we don't want to repeat um, repeat work ag- again. Like <laughs> we want to be able to tell the story of the people who are experiencing disadvantage so we can make a change rather than continue to do more um, research. Um, and then we really want to get it into an election commitment for the state elections in 2021. One of the like some, something that comes out of this project that is a kind of key recommendation gets into those state um, state election commitments. That'd be a fantastic yeah. outcome. Next year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we're and so we're really kind of excited to kind of get the results from the qualitative interviews because essentially that's going to be where we a lot of the um, the findings that we've reported so far kind of provide evidence to a lot of stuff that we already know. Um, so we're really, really excited to get that data from the qualitative interviews because we're really hoping that that's going to be the place where the solutions come from. Mm-hmm.
0: And mm. so I guess let's uh, let's explore what you've actually found so far. Like I know that you've been going for a, a limited amount of time, but I know that you're also producing literature and whatnot all the time. So what are some of the highlights and key things that you've found so far? I think it, I think it's important to to say
2: just before we get into that yeah. is. The quantitative side of the project, which is the survey, as Early said, it's, it's, it's showing us what we know. But what it does is it defines the landscape that we're mm. hoping to make change in. So it tells us this is a real issue, that's a real issue, uh, and at what level, and the families are telling us that. Then the qualitative interviews, which will finish midway through this year, that will be the way forward in terms of families telling us this is what we're experiencing, and then also telling us this is what works, this is what doesn't work, this is what could work, in what ways. So all that really gives us direction. So when we're building the strategy, which we've begun, it's going to be a living, breathing kind of document or, or, or strategy because we can't really, really um, speak on behalf of the families. We're waiting for their voices first, and that comes later. Um, and as Jeannie could probably say, that lived experience is essentially why we're doing this. The, the services that became involved did so because they understand, despite best intentions, those peer, uh, people who are really stuck, despite the services doing their best, are staying stuck. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing that needs to be done differently? That's really a, an important part. Um, the government, I'm hoping, uh, you know, will come on board. They are on board. They're really listening. They're really interested and they're really engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we get those results... They're already engaging with us now saying, you know, when are they coming?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When is that going to be available so we can start featuring in our policy changes and decisions and practices? Um, so we're all waiting. So mm-hmm. this is a good timely um, podcast um, <laughs> because in a few months' time, those will be here, and in six months' time, hopefully we'll have some really good action underway.
0: Yeah. So that's sorry, yeah. the, yeah. the, the preamp before we give you some of the stats. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so let's move into the some of the findings
3: Yeah, so our recent, our most recent um, bulletin that we are launching this week, um, it's the Navigating Support Systems bulletin. So it's going to be one of a series of three. And this one really focuses on um, the supports that are in the family's lives and how they negotiate those um, support systems and services. Um, What we found from this report is that a large number of the families are accessing those everyday services, um, the food and the emergency relief services. Nearly three-quarters of the families from the baseline survey um, access these. And then you're also seeing a large number um, accessing the kind of mental health and counselling support services, the job and employment support services, and the financial um, counselling services. But what we're seeing is that these kind of everyday services, the people who access them, access them quite frequently, like more than 50% of the time. And we're seeing that we're putting, even though people are accessing them every day and they need these services daily, we're putting barriers in place that don't make that service easy to access. For instance, the service might be located in 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 a difficult place and there's not sustainable transport to be able to get there, or that you may have had that service um, multiple times. It's a service that you need daily, but there's a there's a limit to the number of times that you can access that service, especially around the emergency and the food relief. So we're putting kind of unnecessary documentation, unnecessary eligibility criteria, and we're not making it easy for people to get to these services um, when when people need them. I don't know. That's right. You want to talk Yeah, to that yeah, as well?
4: yeah. It's really hard because. Um, um, like, I had this one incident where I didn't have any food at home. So I rang an agency, um, and they said to come in there. So I went in there. They gave me an appointment, went in there. Because um, I didn't have an income statement, I was looking, at, looking after my mum at the time. Um, I didn't have an income statement for her. They said, you, oh, we can't give you anything because you have an income statement. So it just wow. makes, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it just makes me feel like, yeah. why you know, like, I'm asking for help, but then you're denying me for help. And then after that, I wouldn't go back to them for a long time. Because right. mm. I just felt like, you know, mm. I'm just...
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's
4: just... It's, it's not a good feeling when you just get denied for...
0: is that a, Was that a government agency or was that an NGO?
4: Um, it was one that I used to use quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I don't really want to mention them. No, no, that's, yeah, fine.
0: that's yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious because it sounds like that's exactly the sort of information that you guys want to feed back mm. yeah. to the people on the ground and so, or the people in the offices that are making the policies mm. saying this is all well and good and in theory, like you've got all these criteria, but yeah. the reality is people are coming here in real need of help.
4: It's not yeah. like I'm going there asking for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars or I'm asking for alcohol or cigarettes mm. or anything. I'm asking for food to feed my children. Mm. That's yeah. all. Yeah. That's what it is. So, um, but after that, I didn't go back for a while. But then right. I have been going back, and um, they've been completely different towards me now.
0: Yeah. So, well, just what think. do you th- what do you think led to that change in how they were treating you?
4: I don't know. I think maybe she just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that's that's
4: awesome. it. Like, yeah.
2: Well, that's that's a really good point because if you're the first person to be gr- who's greeting you through that door, yeah. then your experience with that person. Makes, means are you coming back? Are you never coming back? Mm-hmm. Well, that was one of the the, the ways forward yeah. that we suggested.
3: So there, there's a few. This is the first um, snapshot that uh, gives some recommendations and ways forward. And what's coming through is that it's not um, difficult stuff to, to change. Changing the eligibility criteria, making a space more welcoming. These are simple things that. Um, all kind of services and agencies can do and they don't cost anything. They mm-hmm. essentially don't need funding to make your environment more welcoming.
0: Yeah, more relevant. But
3: it's the also the hard to
4: like, get to a place when you have no vehicle, you don't have money to get on the, on the bus. Mm-hmm. So how do you get somewhere to get food? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only p- people that bring food out to you is St Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. Okay. They will bring you food, but that's every three months or mm-hmm. something like that.
2: Because there's lots of criteria in terms of how many times you can visit a certain place before you have to give it a, a month yeah, break. Yeah, or... it's mainly
4: every three months where you can go and get help. Yeah. So you go that one that month, and then three months after you can go again. But if you get stuck in the middle, mm. when well, you can't go to that agency, mm. you got to ring up for another one and ring another one, and ring another one too. You can get something. And most of the time, when I ring places, you know, to get help, like um. I won't get anything that day. I won't get food vouchers that day. So then I'll have to sit down and think, well, how else am I going to get food? Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to get something.
1: Yeah.
4: Um, but I always, always get something. doesn't matter. It always happens.
2: And that speaks to the, um, the creativity, to the resilience mm-hmm. um, that families have. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it, it's incredible. And this is something we try and portray in lots of our uh, media releases and um, yeah, findings that you know there's a stigma out there, probably in the community about certain ways uh, families might behave or they predict you know or, or push on to families, when in reality it's just families doing it tough mm-hmm. and um, actually doing a really good job at making sure that their family is looked after. Um, but there's barriers within the system that prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking, At the top end, we're talking about housing. We're talking about food, Mm -hmm. real basic stuff. And if that's the real the the barrier, how can you get to the next part of the ladder? And this is what this project hopes to uncover. You know, we're talking about new start. There's expectations that people on new start go into employment or into um, education. But if you're struggling every day to find food for your family, Mm
0: -hmm. then that's
2: the priority. How do you then find the bus fare to get to a job
0: interview, or even you know, to consider that? Because your mind yeah. is somewhere else. And it could be a two or three hour round trip just to get to that interview, which, you know, is really difficult. Mm. Yeah. Mm. If you haven't got your own transport, you need to rely on bus timetables. Yeah, you're suffering time from, time from mental tables. health
3: difficulties. Mm. Yeah. And um, got that, your family needs you. Like all these things kind of layer on top of something simple, which should be going to get food for your family.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's that's why the, the community advisory group and Genie is so important because we have these stats coming through, which are really the you know, the hard numbers from the, the the survey. But until we get the voices from families, we really rely on people like Jeannie and the community advisory group to help us understand what that looks like, and then help us help guide and make decisions that we can tailor the project to help better outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's a real it's a partnership.
0: Yeah. Have there been any findings that have come out so far where the community advisory group has said, actually that's a bit surprising that you're finding that or has everything been kind of consistent with oh, what
4: everything's pretty much yeah. <laughs> it all fits yeah. the bill. Yeah. It just fits fits, yeah, what yeah. I go through, what they go through. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But the thing is like, yeah, I have I have struggled my whole life, but I've never gave up once. Mm. And um uh, I was gonna say. No, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> So you've, got yeah. too much, you've got a lot
0: to say. Yeah, yeah I do have a lot
4: to say. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even in this group, Jeannie, you said yesterday, being involved in the project, you've considered, you know, leaving at point. I
4: have. There's a few times where I was going to leave this. Um, one of the reasons was because um, of my dad, got diagnosed with cancer, had to be with him. Um, you know, I've sat with, I sat with him for on his last three days And right. he died in front of me. So at that time... I was going to leave, mm-hmm. and then last year was the hardest year I've ever been through because obviously it's been twelve months since he passed away. So I was going to leave a few times with that as well, and then another time I was going to leave because I just didn't felt like I fitted in in the group. Okay. I didn't feel like um, that my story wasn't, you know, it wasn't good enough or not that's good enough, but people didn't want to hear what I have to say. Right. <clears throat> I just, yeah, I just felt really uncomfortable. Okay. didn't want to be there. When you, s-
0: when you say people, you mean other people from like the group? Everyone. or everyone. Okay.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I don't sit there and tell my whole life dramas or yeah. whatever.
0: I don't do that. I think that's one of the distinctions about a study like this as well is that it measures sort of material disadvantage, but there's also a massive emotional mm-hmm. toll from that and there's emotional needs that often get overlooked because we're looking at the dollars and cents and, you know, whether someone's got enough food and a place to live. But then there's also the, the stress and... Yeah.
1: And I feel you like know. you're probably going to get all of that data through that qualitative. You'll be able to kind of capture and,
2: and figure yeah. out
1: really what it is about it.
2: Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we capture that both from the qualitative and the quantitative. Um, I mean, I've written down a couple of, of stats just to remind me, but there's there's so much more that you, if you guys, are, whoever's listening, <laughs> want to go and look on the website under our resources section, there's a lot of information you can download. We'll put a link yeah, the, in great. the notes to that. Thanks. Yeah, But, I mean, we, when we're talking about financial vulnerability and independence, you know, there's, there's key things in life that people can be impacted by, but as Ellie mentioned, those can be compounded by stress of debt, you know, the debt, 86% 86 of the families had debt um, that wasn't a mortgage, so loans, utility bills, um, so 68% were unable to pay utility bills on time, which means then you have a choice between paying the the, the bills or eating, so 51% went without food, went without meals, Um, and often it's the adults that suffer more than the kids because parents are making sure the kids eat Mm -hmm. while they don't, so there's often that disparity, and then from that you get you know, the findings show a lack of sleep, higher stress related illnesses, relationship breakdowns because of the stress of like, debt and the feeling of, of being trapped. Mm-hmm. And all that's that stuckness. So when you're trying to then climb the ladder, these things help or don't help. They keep you down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're trying to identify. So we do know all from the families the, the things that are affecting them. But now we're looking at what would work, what would help and what mm-hmm. has worked. So we can help amplify that message and do
0: more of those things. Yeah. yeah so, so where to next? Like what's, what's the direction of the project from this point? Well, the next
2: few months is, is still data collection. Yeah. Um, so we've got the Wave 2 survey to finish. So we're, we're at about 200 um, uh, surveys collected out of the 400 initially done a year ago. So we know there'll be attrition. We know we won't hit all four. So let's hope we get 300. Uh, and then the finishing off of the qualitative interviews. Um, we do plan to do some focus groups and some other ways of collecting information like journey mapping so families can identify a time in their life and, and, and map it out with the interviewer, whether it be something that's worked for them or something that hasn't worked, so we can understand that in more detail. And then, as Ellie said, it's, it's then the action part um, what we do with this information to help make that change. Mm -hmm. And that is the organic part at the moment, because we're still waiting for some of the findings. And obviously, we still have ideas around going regionally, um, maybe some spin-off projects. Mm -hmm. And we'd like that to happen. So we'd like the organic side to really spur um, partners within the project to go, ah, that's something that's really important to us. Something that's come up, which is significant. I mean, this is all significant, but 79% of the families are experiencing domestic violence.
0: That's huge. That's massive. That's yeah.
2: massive. So it, there could be a spin-off sub-project just focusing on that, for mm. example. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, you'll have to invite us back in six months yeah. to find <laughs> <what> <laughs>
0: we will for an update. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be good. And Jenny, was there, is there anything that's come out of the project so far that's particularly caught your eye, or that you've you know you think that's like a really major issue that you've experienced uh, as well? No,
4: the only thing is like being in this project has helped me, um, has given me the confidence to speak up. Um, yeah,
1: so it's been it's, it's been good. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think that itself is really important in that now there's confidence to talk about yeah. what you've been through and things like that, which yeah. means that in turn other people can be confident, yeah. and then you guys can get more information, and then yeah. that leads yeah. to change and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, mm. yeah, mm. really really good and, connection there. And mm.
0: are you seeing the project make a difference so far in people's lives, like maybe some of some of your network or
1: it's okay
4: to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: it's still it's still very early days. Yeah, I
4: yeah. I, honestly, I haven't really, um, no, I haven't really seen anything yet. But I know that from where we started, where we are today, there is a like I can see the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. It, I think this is something that's come up a few times within the community mm-hmm. advisory group. Research takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is action research, so this is a faster version of the traditional type. Um, So the waiting, you know, like when is this going to make a change? Mm -hmm. So one thing we're trying to always do is communicate back to the families, this is what's happening. So whoever's got email addresses, they're they're subscribed to the newsletter so they can see what we're doing. Um, We have what we've called um, the family liaison officer when each each of the seven service delivery organisations, they contact families and let them know, like an update, this is where we're at. Um, and when the interviewers catch up with their families, they can let them know, you know, this is what's currently happening. It is a long road, but it's a shorter road than some other oh. research projects. Um, and so the key is next, the next step of the action to impact. Yep. Um, but at this stage, no, no impact would have I, been.
0: Okay. And great. when a member of your team is dealing with a family and they can see that there's a real kind of urgent problem, Are you guys in a position to offer any help or or refer them to anywhere for help? How does that get handled? Because that must be quite confronting, I would think.
3: Mm. So all of the families when they first engaged with the project were with the agencies. So they all had a kind of support system through the agencies. Although one, um, bringing us back to the recent findings, one key thing that has come through is that the informal supports that the families have, their friends, their families, they're kind of where... Um, people f- you know people find their strength um, but yeah going back to, to the to the previous question, everybody was connected with an agency and the interviews do um, take place within the, the hubs of the agencies. So if we need we, if if um, anything happens they need that support we can kind of um, take people back.
0: Yeah because I was thinking with the family domestic violence figures that you mentioned before mm. being so high that would be one area that must be. You know, really difficult.
3: Yeah. The other thing that to mention about that statistic is we didn't recruit through um, family and domestic violence services, knowing that that space and um, being the crisis space, people went re- wouldn't be ready to you know to share to share mm. such open um, you know open things about their lives. So what is you know quite striking is that that um, oh, <laughs> that, that statistic is people who were with. The services in the main in the in the mainstream.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. So, so we still have. I mean, this is obviously a long project. So, some of the families disengage with their services, um, but because we have those links, we can either reconnect them, um, or I mean, the, the the interviewers are all trained in this area, so they can provide um, signposting to the right services that they need. So, there is a connection point. But we are clear that this this is mm. a research project, and it isn't service support delivery yep. style. Um, but we can obviously, you
0: know, facilitate that where, yeah. where possible. Yeah. Well, so we're probably getting towards the end. So if there's anything you guys wanted to, to talk about before we do wrap up, now would be a good time.
2: Um, I would like
0: to say subscribe to our newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So if people want to visit um, www.100familieswa.org.au or just Google 100 families WA, then on the first page, three quarters of the way down, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out quarterly, and be updated um, with what's happening. And this year especially is a good time to join us if you haven't heard us of, of, of the project before and, and follow and support what we're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, okay. And we'll include all that information in the, the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. Jenny. did you have anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Um,
1: not really. No. <laughs> no, I think I've said enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's been great having you all here and I appreciate you all making the time. And yeah, we
1: really do. I think it's such an important us. project and to get yeah. all the information out there and, and voices and, heard. It's
0: and we looked forward to catching up and hearing yes. what's happened you in will six months. We'll all be
1: coming back. Nine months yeah. or
0: <laughs> Yeah, and all the best for what happens between now and then. It's a really worthwhile project and I commend everyone.
1: Yes, well done. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks so yeah, much yeah. for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks very much. All right, thank you. That was our conversation with the 100 Families Project. Thank you for listening. And as usual, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at Outlook.com or tweet us at healthmeanswhat. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber, with music by Craig Cumming.